to the podcast where together, every Monday, we explore hospitality in its very broader sense, from culture and cooking, cocktails and coffee, nutrition and farming, politics and animal welfare, organic and sustainability, family and business, entrepreneurship, and much, much more. Come and learn with me, Mark Cribb, about where our food and our drink comes from and the businesses and more importantly the human beings that thrive on where we decide to spend our time and our money. Sign up to our weekly newsletter at humansofhospitality.co.uk and hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Welcome to this week's show and release to the world on rather an exciting day when indoor hospitality is reopening across the country in England and Wales and Scotland. Sorry, I'm not fully up to speed with where you're at since I think you could perhaps already sell some stuff indoors until 8pm. But the point being, it is a good news day in general. And finally, hopefully, we can find a way for the awesome hospitality industry to trade out of its current mess. So it felt like good time to have a chat with today's guest, Stefan Lisa. Now, a bit different to my normal guests on this podcast, since Stefan is actually based in Hong Kong, and rather than being a little local independent, Langham Hospitality has some big backers and a number of properties spread throughout the globe. However, it is that global perspective that I was really keen to explore with Stefan. There are some really interesting things that we can learn from people like Stefan who are operating across countries and across borders. And I wanted to understand how different markets across the globe are performing and whether that performance is due to governments taking a different approach on how to manage COVID. And we recorded this show a few weeks ago, but at the time, Stefan's hotels across China, Australia and New Zealand were actually trading pretty well, whilst London obviously was closed. And whereas hotels were doing okay, they were aimed at the domestic market only. Many of these countries closed their borders fully very early on in the pandemic. And as a result, they seem to have kept variants at bay. Now, whilst being sympathetic to airlines and those in the international market, I get the general sense from many people that I'm speaking with that a summer of domestic trade only would be way better than heading into yet another lockdown. Certainly with the so-called Indian variant now hitting the news, what should we be learning by looking at other countries and seeing how they are managing the situation? Stefan may help broaden our perspectives with his views. And then there is also how the product of hospitality is evolving and changing globally, as well as the customer and their expectation. What does it look like when your customer changes from international to national in city hotels? And what do you need to change? We explore all of this and much more as we join Stefan very high up in a Hong Kong high rise. And much as I miss recording these conversations face to face, the ability to hop across the globe in just a few seconds is obviously pretty cool. And remember, if you enjoy this podcast, please, please give it a review and subscribe on your podcast player of choice. More reviews and more subscribers means more listeners, which means I can keep attracting fascinating guests for us all to enjoy. Okay, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks. Stefan Lisa, CEO of Langham Hospitality. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Really excited to get to have a conversation with you and particularly excited because uh, I understand you are actually in Hong Kong. So you can just say, where, where in the world are you? At the office or you're at home, Stefan? Yeah, thank you very much, Mark, for having me. I actually took the decision to go home and record this one with you in uh, more in a quiet setting. So um, I'm on the 45th floor of a typical Hong Kong hike high-rise building 
and um, it's a beautiful day. Wow, that's pretty cool because it sounds literally like you're you're about two foot from me. Uh, but you're, you're <laughs> sure you're definitely in Hong Kong, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I I believe you. So, um, what time is it there? How's your how's your day been? I suppose what does a typical day look like when you're the CEO of a global hotel and hospitality company? You're navigating a pandemic and uh, and you, and you happen to be in Hong Kong. What does your typical day look like? How's your day been today? Day was was it typical? I guess it was typical. You know, uh, we start with uh, whatever time zones are ready to do any conversations with me. Um, usually, either in the morning I have um, early morning for me, late evening calls for the U.S. East Coast, um, or you know some early afternoon calls for our colleagues on uh, the West Coast in the U.S. And you have to keep in mind that they're now almost yeah, a day behind you and uh, then our colleagues in Auckland and Sydney they are a little bit ahead of us and then how does a typical day look like well a lot of talking I just said it to my wife that when you come home you're you're a lot of times you're simply out of words right and um, um, you're listening to what's going on you you sit in review meetings and um, yeah that's predominantly yeah. it has that, has that changed a lot as a result of, of COVID or was it always uh, lots of phone calls, lots of talking? It, it has changed because usually there was about a 50% amount of traveling where you were trying to be with colleagues and trying to see actually what's going on and, and experience firsthand, have the ability to engage with the colleagues and understand um, some things a lot better when you see them and, and when you feel them. And um, because of the the travel restrictions, more so the the burdens because of the quarantine requirements, that's almost impossible. Uh, whenever I come back to Hong Kong, I need to do a three weeks mandatory hotel quarantine, and um, well, so that's not really practical yeah. to do can any you, travel. Can you stay in one of your hotels for that? No, nope. you have to oh. be in, <laughs> you have to be in a government uh, approved hotel and that's only quarantine business and then uh, you check in you basically go to the room and then nobody enters the room for three weeks and there are quite some interesting experiences that come about when you when you do that how many times have you had to do that a couple of times and before that we had um quarantine um at home that was two weeks um so in total i think i've done last week nine ten eleven weeks of quarantine so people used to pay a lot of money to go on these sort of silent retreats, didn't they? Where you wouldn't speak <laughs> for three weeks. I, I guess you can at least make phone. But how does it feel sat in a room for three weeks? You literally can't leave the room, whatever. You literally can't leave the room and nobody enters the room either. So you will get uh, towels every four days and new bed sheets every seven and you do your own beds. And um, uh, the biggest um, challenge actually for, I, I spent it with my wife, and the biggest challenge for us was actually that um, you know, dust piles up after a certain period of time. And uh, that's something that um, the rest, I think it's it's a mental exercise. You have to accept that that's just a fact. Um, I really, and I then, really then you get into certain rhythms. So you will get food delivered and, uh, um, yeah, you eat when they deliver the food, not because then, then it's warm and you want to eat it when it's warm. Yeah. I'm sort of thinking that maybe when my kids were a lot younger, I would probably have paid quite a lot of money to go away for three weeks and just sit in a room <laughs> on my own and not talk to anyone. But uh, but now I would I would be climbing the walls. I'm not cut out for that. 
Yeah, it definitely saves a long commute, right? You know, I mean, that's clear. You get up and yeah, you need to discipline God. yourself that you're properly in shape when you join video conferences. Yeah. Well, thank goodness for the internet, because without that, you really would be, uh, you'd be stuck. Yeah, well, you're working. Really... I mean, it, there is not much of a difference working from that hotel room than working from your office because the social distancing or work from home, I mean, we, we even have that in place in, in Hong Kong and the colleagues sit in the in the office with masks. Huh? I mean, we're very disciplined when it comes to that. Do you miss the travel? I miss the travel incredibly because um, it is what our industry is all about, right? You know, I mean, having the ability to experience um, those different cultures, um, working with all those different cultures, um, seeing um, what, uh, you know, my colleagues are actually are able to do and deliver and how they excite um, our guests. And, uh, and, and I think nothing beats the, the real experience and the real feel of um, sitting in the California sun or, or walking around in, in London around where, where the Langham London is or being in Sydney. And, and I think that's, that's a privilege of us working in that industry. And if that component's gone, you know, it is obviously a lot harder than maybe for other people that are impacted differently through that pandemic. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay, well, well, we'll come on to that a little bit more. So for those people listening, though, who don't know Langham Hospitality, um, can you give us a quick overview? I've, I've read a few different numbers as to how many hotels you have. Uh, presumably, that's due to a sort of a, a recent period of growth. Um, you've also got hotels in some of the world's greatest cities. Can you paint a little picture in terms of scale venues, how many people you employ, how many rooms you have, locations and stuff like that? Yeah, the Langham Hospitality Group has two brands that are basically that we operate. The first one is the Langham brand, originating in the um, from the Langham uh, London, uh, opened up in 1865, was the first grand hotel in in Europe actually, and, and with a lot of unique features. And then um, when our ownership group here, the Great Eagle Group, um, out of Hong Kong, acquired. And not only that hotel, but at one point in time, decided to take that brand basically globally. A little bit what, you know, Raffles has done. And if you take another example where you take one brand and expand it, or one hotel and expand the brand around uh, the globe. Um, we have, and that's where the difference comes in, in, in operations. We have about 24 hotels, and then there are some in pre-opening and, and, and uh, in construction um, stage. Um, we're operating another brand which is the Cordis brand that um, is a little bit positioned differently which um, is what we would call approachable luxury so in the five star segment but more competing with the Grand Hyatt's the uh, Intercontinentals where the Langham competes with the Mandarin Oriental the Peninsulas the Four Seasons the luxury the top luxury set um, from a positioning perspective um, we're an owner operator, so a lot of the hotels that uh, we're operating, pretty much all of the hotels that we're operating, especially outside of China, and the group owns. And um, yeah, and uh, starting from Auckland in the far west um, over to Sydney, Melbourne, then a lot of locations in mainland China, Hong Kong. We're opening up in Jakarta in july this year on to london and to continuing over to north america where we are in boston new york chicago 
LA and building in um, San Francisco. Amazing. It's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty awesome. Have you been to all of them? Have I been to all of them? I've been to almost all of them, put it that way. There are some, some uh, trips that were scheduled and that were unfortunately not able to be completed. I haven't been to our hotel in Auckland and I'm not so sure whether uh, I will be able to go into New Zealand uh, in 2021, which is a pity because that's one of the things that I would very much look forward to. And then there are a few places, a couple of places in China where I haven't been yet. Okay, wow, that's pretty impressive though. You've been to a huge amount because you've not you've not been in the role that long. How long? How long? Three ago years you joined? in May. Three years. You must have done a lot of travel in those three years. I've done a lot of traveling, but um, as I said, you know, the last year. So basically, I had to do the travel in a year and a half, a little over a year and a half, because that's when literally then we were um, confronted with uh, some of yeah. those headwinds. Yeah, even more impressive. Uh, which is your favorite? That's a good question. I think they all have a, a very different charm to me. And um, I like Sydney because it's a, I mean, Sydney is a city. It's just fantastic. And, and I love the, the mood and the, the atmosphere. Then I like the location where we are. We're literally next to the Harbour Bridge, a little bit above the Harbour Bridge on the rocks. And then you can walk down, see the Opera House. And, and the hotel is a small one with about not even 100 uh, rooms and has a very much um, a home away from home feel to me. Then our, I would call it the mothership in London is, is always an, an amazing experience just when you get there from the doorman and, 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 and just entering that place that has so much history and, and, and has experienced so many things over the times. And then there is one that gives me very particular emotions. That's our, um, Langham in New York, which is right opposite from the um, uh, Empire State Building. And when you, as a non-American, go in there and basically then the right music is played when you enter the room and you see the Empire State Building, you know, that gives me goosebumps every time I do that. Yeah, it gives me goosebumps just hearing about it. That's uh, that's amazing. I'm impressed you answered. Actually, I thought it might be like asking, you know, which is your favourite child, Stefan. I wasn't sure whether you would uh, whether you'd be able to admit, but uh, well done. Um, yeah, but look, I mean, it doesn't mean that those are the best places or the uh, it's just the ones where you say, you know, I like them, and and not that I don't like the other children as you <laughs> as referred to to either. But um, uh, I think there are there are always connections around it. I could have said. Pasadena as well, which is, but as I said, there is this California sunlight that is a very particular um, spirit that um, is there, and the setting is is, is amazing. So, um, yeah, I could have talked for a lot more, but those were the yeah. three that immediately come to my mind. I, I could listen. I think I've literally the imagination is great, isn't it? Because I haven't been back to Sydney for a long time, and I went to New York for my wife's birthday. But yeah, as you were talking through those cities, I was sort of yeah uh, imagining them in my head, even more so than I probably normally would as a result, like you say, of a, of a year of non-travel. So, are these all pretty much um, city hotels? Are any of them country, or are you all based in in city centres? The one that I would say is a little bit of an, an a resortish character, but it's also in an urban setting. That's the one in Pasadena. Um, you know, you can call it LA, but it is, uh, I mean, LA really has a very, um, well now a revitalized city center, but, um, it's a very much in the, 
in the area um, grown city. And we sit on an enormous amount of uh, uh, space there with a very traditional hundred year old building looks like a grand castle. And this is, um, this is a resortish type character. The rest are uh, all pretty much city center hotels. It's one of the challenges that we will face in, in the near future that we have to find the right resorts and uh, that, you know, fit the brand and that help us to, to grow into that segment. Mm, yeah well that that's kind of one of the reasons that i wanted to chat actually sort of conscious of you being city and 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 you know regular listeners will appreciate that you know with such a big business and deep pockets uh you're pretty unusual as a type of guest for this podcast since i generally focus on the smaller independent sector but I, but i've been looking forward to chatting to you since with that sort of global business you've got a number of unique perspectives that i really want to explore partly around the pandemic response and management across the world because you've got to be global to sort of witness that as you have i'm sure but also also the sort of the, the cultural differences, I guess, from a business perspective uh, around the world. But we'll start with that pandemic perspective, because I guess, you know, so many of your hotels are in China. I'm presuming that meant that you had a really sort of, you know, a, a real world early warning as to what was going to happen globally, you know, as far uh, back as maybe January last year. What, what did you witness in those early days in China? And, and did you, did that give you a sort of a, a unique opportunity to, to quickly roll out globally? Did you sort of see it coming pretty strongly? Because we certainly didn't in Europe. We obviously had a very early warning. Um, if it was a warning, I don't know. But um, uh, let me maybe tell the story in the following way, I went back from work on the 22nd of January in 2020 and noticed in Hong Kong that suddenly about 20% of the population was wearing a mask. And during the winter, you will see 1% to 2% of people wearing a mask just to protecting the others because they don't feel well. And that's just the muscle memory, the culture here in, in Asia that you do that. And so on that 22nd of January, it was, you know, a jump in um in in that discipline the next day it was about 50 50 percent of the people and then on the 24th of january which was um in 2020 the chinese new year day everybody was wearing a mask so you knew exactly well something's going on um i on that day flew actually what was supposed to be a vacation to bali and um landed there was pretty normal but then it really hit us i mean the restrictions came in um in china um you could see that regional governments were trying to make not the same mistake that maybe the province where the wuhan uh, outbreak is in was blamed for after and that all those regional governors were basically trying to quickly make sure that um, uh, nothing's happening and the hotels were literally closed or empty relatively quickly so we were very quickly exposed to this has serious and significant business impact. Um, the rest of the world, as you rightly said, not really was con having that conversation, was understanding that there is something going on in China. We here in Hong Kong felt it also because when the border closed here to mainland, then we have a significant drop in business. Uh, I was then, when I came back from Bali flying, on, on the 14th of February to the US for attending some meetings. That was all okay. Um, 
And we had even business reviews then about the North American properties as well as London. And we were looking at best ever January, February for the company. And in the end of February, I had a, hosted a, a lunch with some very important business partners for us in New York. And uh, there were travel agents in there and they basically said, look, yeah, the phone's not ringing anymore. And then I flew over to London and literally the week after, I would think about the 6th or 7th of March was when everything fell apart in the rest of the world. Pacific was a little earlier. And going back to your question, yes, we learned from what we implemented and what we had to implement relatively quickly in terms of um, hygiene, um, standard operating procedure adjustments and all those kind of things. And we had the opportunity to basically uh, learn about that and roll that out around our still very small portfolio. You said we're a big company. I mean, we're, we're maybe bigger than a, um, a one a hotel entity, but we're not a huge company. We're still small enough that I know um, and talk to every GM and understand what they're doing. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then did that, you know, I suppose the, you know, the flip side of that, as well as seeing maybe the early warning of it, of it coming, you must've witnessed a very different way that it was being managed and, and the speed you were coming out of it. Although I suppose what's happened in China, I guess, is that it's been, you know, it seemed that they really did lock down the borders. And I, and I presume that although they reopened, not to international travel. So is it, has it been a story of domestic travel only in China? And, and are all of your hotels open at the moment around the world or are any of them actually closed? The one in London, as you um, know, is closed at the moment because of, well, there are no um, hotels allowed to stay open until the 17th of May, as I understand currently. That's yep, when... That's it when the business is allowed to resume and all the rest of the hotels are open. Um, yes, the response was different in different um, countries. And that has to do maybe also with what I said earlier, with muscle memory from previous uh, pandemic or, or um, outbreak experiences. I mean, here in Hong Kong, SARS in 2002, 2003 was something that was still very much um there and people understood we have to respond quickly and quite disciplined to that and that's the part that whenever i talk to colleagues either in north america or in in uh, uh, australia or, or in in europe is that in, in hong kong we never had closed retail shops we never really had closed restaurants um, I think the restaurants were closed for one day. Yes, the bars are closed um, and karaoke and some of those kind of things, but um, the life feels relatively normal. We had restrictions sometimes with opening hours um, when we had what we would call waves here and the uh, opening hours were restricted till maybe six o'clock in the evening. Now we're back to 10 o'clock at night. Um, it's not the normal way. But the city feels relatively normal, but everybody's wearing a mask. That's interesting, isn't it? That, that it's so different. How, how is it possible? And, and I suppose this is, you know, sort of one of my questions, I guess, is, is, is how much of this is that uh, the, the different way that governments are handling the situation and how much of it is different ways that, the, the you know, the residents and the population just handle it? I suppose we have this 
uh, stereotype, I guess, of of the West just not being, you know, particularly good at being compliant whether that's compliant with with government directive or just maybe just you know compliant as a species i suppose even as self-motivated is it as simple as that or or what else is going on how how can it be possible that in some part of the world you can open the restaurants and covid isn't as much of a challenge but in another part you've got to shut the restaurants for what now i don't know we're on month three or something ridiculous over the winter here i I think it's uh, largely about discipline I mean, if, if look, I'm, I'm European, I can speak freely about that and say here the way that uh, people are disciplined and uh, the way it's handled has prevented those major outbreaks from happening. And given the structure of Hong Kong, we are obviously having a huge disadvantage. You know, as I said, I'm in the 45th floor here of a building. And when I look out, there are, you know, only high rise buildings of so the the density is obviously a huge disadvantage from from that perspective. But uh, still, um, that's maybe because there is also then the higher alertness or sensitivity about it. We need to be disciplined, otherwise it will grow exponentially and super quickly. Um, and um, it wasn't so much government measures. You know, it's not what I felt here. That may have been the case in China, but that wasn't really the the, the situation. Where you see pretty harsh measures and where we feel them also then was when you look at New Zealand or, or Australia. I mean, in Australia, um, you, you had lockdowns, you had hard shutdowns to basically get the cases under control and both of them are, are islands. Um, and uh, if they keep their borders closed, they know that they pretty much have a, uh, a strict control over. That's also a little bit the case here in Hong Kong with the very strict control who is allowed to come back to Hong Kong and then what are the um, quarantine quarantine regulation around it. Um, so, look, I think nobody knows what's the right way of dealing with this, but uh, I see very different impacts on our business um, around the world. Yeah, that's why I think it's fascinating. So, so where now are the hotels doing best? Who's, who's performing best? China, um, yeah. China. The yes, the international traveler is missing, but we are we're back to let's say sixty, seventy percent occupancies. We're sometimes full over the weekends. Um, you clearly saw that the first business that came back when people feel safe to travel is leisure driven. Um, then some domestic business travel comes back. We're not big into meetings and incentives and conferences yet, and. They're starting to come back as well. Um, but the border, the international border, is still pretty much closed. Um, when we look over to um, the Pacific, New Zealand and Australia are both, both having a, a domestic market that's sufficient to keep the, the, the businesses afloat, as I would say. Um, they're, they're able to make some money. They're, we're all talking, obviously, dimensions that are very different to what has happened prior to the pandemic, right? But there uh, is an ability or there is an, a volume of business you can work with. North America is coming back. I think there is confidence coming back into the system. Um, Hong Kong, as long as we have those strict quarantine uh, rules in, in place, we live off our staycation offerings, of uh, the local F&B offerings and those kind of things. Um, but are not having significant amount of uh, occupancy levels. And London, you know best. (laughs) 
So it seems in Europe we've, we've, we seem to have this reluctance. So I suppose I'm interested in in, in North America. Is, is North America the same? Is that is that domestic tourism or is, is North America still open? To, no to domestic tourism. Domestic. So much. it's all domestic. Yes. So we yes. seem to have this reluctance. Although I guess we're getting our heads around it, and, I, and this seems to be Europe-wide more challenging on the continent, I suppose, because of the interconnected. But even in the UK, and I can't quite work out why we we have this sort of. Uh, I don't know this this desire. I guess certainly at government level to keep the uh, you know keep the airports open. But it but it, I, I think certainly as operators, we're kind of like look, we've been closed now for so long. We would absolutely just take a a domestic season. You know the staycation as it gets called here in in, in the UK market looks very appealing. It's kind of like okay, well, if we can't open international travel, if we're worried about all of these variants, at the very least, let's get the the, the hotels and the restaurants open and, and make the most of that domestic agenda have you got any thoughts i suppose on why europe doesn't seem to be very good at that and, and doesn't seem to be the trajectory i appreciate you don't have as many uh, facilities on the continent but yeah any any, any thoughts i suppose on, on on why we're doing it differently and what we should be doing yeah look i think there might be and um how should i phrase that I'm not necessarily sure that people look across the borders enough and, and, and steal the good ideas that work in other areas and basically apply them then in, um, um, in, in the way it, it's needed. Um, then there was right from the beginning, I think in Europe, there was always about the skepticism about, you know, the questions initially on masks, do they work, yes or no? And and, and, and where we were amazed here in, in even that those kind of conversations are happening because the only measures we took was um, sanitizing our hands and, and wearing masks. And we obviously had it under control through that. So I was like, what's the question? Why are you challenging <laughs> that in, in that respect? And and But there is there seems to be a strong reluctance to... Uh, to learn from um, best practices, and uh, then when it comes to our industry, and and you've seen that, and you, I've, I know that you have talked about that as well. I think we don't have a voice at the table, and we don't, uh, we we don't lobby well enough, and 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 have people with expertise sitting there and say, look, this makes a difference. And not only a difference from an infectiology or whatever the right word is perspective, but also from a business liability perspective, right? You know, what, what could be done in what way um, that you could stay open, we could operate um, and still do that in a safe way. Mm. Yeah, it feels a bit of a no-brainer, really, on a very simple level to just go, look, yes, it's, it's clearly not ideal, but having, you know, having domestic trade is better than having no trade. Uh, and, and yeah, you're right, we did get involved. And I saw that, you know, you were putting your weight behind this idea for a, a Minister of Hospitality and having a better seat at the table, certainly with the UK government. Um, do, do you think that is different? Do you, do you think hospitality at least has, you know, does it have a better voice at the table in your experience at some other countries? Uh, you know, is, is it better respected as an industry or is, is it pretty much the same approach wherever you go? I think in countries where tourism plays a major role, um, we have a voice at the table. But that's the traditional um, holiday tourism, holiday destination uh, countries you 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 might think of. Um, in in other countries, 
we're not really anywhere close where other industries are. If I look at the car manufacturing industry in Germany or, or the financial industry in, in the UK, I mean, they have a disproportionate amount of weight and lobbying and, and, and being heard um, to the number of people they employ compared to our industry, right? I mean, that the relevance, if my figures are correct, that hospitality employs 3.2 million people in, in the UK and they're representing uh, the third largest private sector, uh, 130 billion pound economy. And, um, but you don't feel that that is um, having the weight in the conversations that it could have and should have, in my opinion. Yeah, agreed. So what's happening then at the moment, just, just sort of moving the future slightly, what, what are you seeing? Are, are reservations picking up for this year? I guess the gut feel in the UK is the moment is that, you know, we are, uh, I don't know how many days away, um, 12, yeah, 14, 15 days away from the sort of first stage of, of release mm. where we can at least open outdoor hospitality still a long way before we can open hotels, certainly for overnight stays. But there is this feeling, I guess, that we are going to get a, a bumper season, even if we look at what happened with COVID last year, you know, the summer wasn't really a problem. We had millions of people, you know, traveling around the country, going to the beaches and, 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 and infection rates were very low. Unfortunately, off the back of that, that it then sort of spiraled into autumn. But what, what are you seeing from a reservation perspective is, is, is globally, I suppose, a reservations looking pretty good for summer or as you mentioned the fact that places like New Zealand that looked like they were going to be domestic tourism only for the summer what's your what's your feel on this how this summer is going to perform I believe that Australia and New Zealand will stay domestic or will be very bespoke with some bubbles opening up but I think that's also okay until they have enough vaccination and and um, uh, some sort of herd immunity in in their countries and they don't want to take a risk I'm in general positive about what will happen um, I think the development is is quite clear leisure will be the first um, strong demand driver um, you and I without even saying it both feel the urgency to do something and go someplace and uh, um, and, and so there is a pent-up demand um, volume that will be very very good for business um, I'm quite clear I'm less clear on the exact timing. And I think that's that's for everybody the same situation. We're all looking at the third quarter um, after July that uh, uh, this will get us back to some sort of normality. There still might be certain bigger events not taking place, and, and uh, but I think there will be enough activity and there will be um, a situation where the highest risk groups are protected and therefore we have to return to some sort of business interaction right yeah and maybe it's driven by hope but that's what i firmly believe <laughs> i think once we've lost hope that's it it's really all over stefan so we've got to have hope so so but are you yeah i, I guess moving away from the summer then back into next winter you, you've still got hope even the winter um you think will be different you know can, can you see this happening again can you see us being you know locked down for months on end next winter or do you think that's unlikely i cannot see that um i think by that time we have to have um enough vaccinations being available that we basically can make it accessible to everybody that needs it that gives then uh, the trading freedom to the countries that we are operating in. Will that 
be what will happen around the globe? No, I'm not knowledgeable enough. I think that there will be countries that um, will not at the same will not be at the same point. Um, but where we are active, I'm quite hopeful that um, this will be um, not happening a year from now. Good. All right. I'm glad you said that. Otherwise, I'd have to be really depressed and 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 end the conversation, Stefan. So, um, apart from that sort of yeah, but pandemic global perspective, uh, perspective, I suppose the other one I wanted to look at is culture. So, but you know, because hospitality is is both global, but also it, you know, we're we're not making widgets at the end of the day. We're actually immersed in this sort of the blended cultures. Often, you've got the the workforce, which is which is quite often an international kind of team. Anyway, you've got the people visiting, which is also often international, and then you've got the host country itself. You you see this sort of this true melting pot of, of humanity which is one of the reasons why, why i so love this industry but i'm fascinated again by any observations for, from such a unique perspective as yours so so if we start with the customer sides do you see anything in different parts of the world is, is there any interesting trends or, or, or habits or nuances that have surprised you in different parts of the globe where you think my goodness you know that would that would never happen in say new york or, or london or sydney or chengdu is, is there a uniqueness around that that sort of global customer i suppose there are nuances around where you say those are um, especially, and maybe let me start with this one. Um, we talked about the domestic nature of the business that we are seeing, right? In some cases, that's even you know more regional than domestic because whether it was in Australia that you were having closed state borders or here in Hong Kong where you literally have just Hong Kong as a, as a territory that uh, um, is your customer base. And so we saw that new phenomenon, I would call it, that then got a name called staycations um, that were the new kind of businesses that you could actually pick up. And initially, when that idea was coming up to creating those packages that um, should entice people to stay in a hotel in the city they're living in, I was thinking, why would I need a hotel room with a bed when I have an apartment that's already expensive where... I could be right so I was not really thinking um, why that could get so much traction and um, so first mistake you think you're the customer which was my mistake you know there is obviously a, a demand out there and then there is the observation that um, people come for a very different reason than what we normally host if you look at those vacation packages then we were serving Hong Kong to Hong Kongers. So everything changes because in a normal world, when you go to New York, you the hotel is your base to explore the city. Where when a Hong Konger comes to our hotel in Hong Kong or a New Yorker to our hotel in New York, it's not the base to explore the city. It's basically the base to explore the hotel, to everything that is there, everything that we offer, everything that we um, have as a dialogue with them and create in terms of opportunities, experiences, and, and, and things, which is a very, very different challenge. And one of the things that, that we had to pivot and, and, and learn quite quickly. And we came up with, um, in, in some hotels with up to 18, 20 different, um, packages to create that kind of unique experience, um, reason for staycation. You then have, um, things where you have your teams that need to react relatively quickly to changing rules and regulations. As I mentioned earlier, here in Hong Kong, we had a time where um, basically the restaurants had to be closed by 6 p.m. 
Now you can imagine when you have Valentine's Day bookings and everybody wants to go out with their loved ones and, and, and then suddenly that option is not on the table, then you set it up in the rooms. You do in-room dining, you set up bespoke candlelight dinners and you come into very, very different challenges at that point in time, right? So I think that was one of the experience where we then saw um, that you can transfer that around the world to create those staycations, but there are different maybe emphasis that are picked up. A kids program in Shanghai looks different than a kids program or, or how we would do it in, in California. But in general, I would say that um, the guests behaved pretty similar. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons I love this industry is the speed. And yet you gave some great examples there of something that probably to your, you know, your lay person, they probably don't put a great deal of thought on it, but I can just imagine the, the, you know, the chaos caused by all of a sudden needing to flip all of your restaurant bookings into, yeah, candlelight dinners for two and in the rooms. You know and what the, the biggest challenge was? Well, I can think of 20, but go on. But, you know, you simply don't have enough in-room dining trolleys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. things that, you know, the sales department might not think about. I say, oh, well, let me switch him into, and you're like, yeah, and how do we serve them, right? You know, I mean, how do we do it? And, yeah. and, 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 and I think, look, what I love about our industry is that we have the most stress-resistant people in our industry. They know exactly that they're dealing with uncertainty day in, day out, and they're not afraid of it. They're not afraid of confronting the uncertainty because that's why uh what you do when a, when a hotel opens up you don't know what the issue will be when the next uh, guest comes and walks into your lobby right and um, i think we, yeah. we're also attracting a certain nature of 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 people and colleagues yeah no it's true we're almost built for, we're, we're built for a pandemic we're used to sort of yeah changing and that that probably slightly Not that we needed but... were but <laughs> i think we are, we're we're obviously the industry that i think is most stress resistant and able to adapt um yeah. no i think i think you're right yeah and i, I come out of this yeah much, much prouder of our sector than probably going into it and i already loved it so so how about the different cultures then from a from a work perspective do you find you have to treat people in your teams very differently in different parts of the world i'm thinking of those sort of cultural nuances or taboos that you need to be aware of when you when you know like you say you walk into a hotel in california or, or, or maybe in, in china you know is, is it a different way that people expect to be treated and managed and courtesy and how do you navigate that authenticity in my opinion is relevant everywhere and if you treat people direct with respect and be fair and appropriate, I think that's a universal currency in my opinion. Um, and this is, this is how I behave. Um, I don't see major differences in that. Having said that, you have different... No, the people receive, you know, even same sentences in a very different way. Okay. And you need to be aware about communication in terms of what you do when you, when you communicate in a certain way. And um, this is amazing. This is something that is quite, um, where part of the fascination of our job and especially of a, of a global role um, comes from. But in, especially in the luxury sector, you have, 
part of the workforce is, as you said, is local and part of the workforce has an international um, background and their CVs show uh, a variety of experiences around the globe. And it's important to mesh those two and make sure that you are true to understand what the local conversation needs to look like and bring in um, this creativity and experience and cross-reference experience that the, the colleagues um, bring back with them or bring to these places they might come for the first time if you understand what i'm trying to say yeah yeah no absolutely yeah and i, and I think you're right actually that authenticity is key isn't it and fundamentally you know the world's full of good humans this is the thing that got me into hospitality in the first place is a couple of years traveling around the world and, and probably leaving the country you know with, with a lot of or, or thinking i knew how the world worked but, but but coming back and sort of thinking okay now it's not about thinking it's sort of i know it and what i fundamentally knew is that people are generally absolutely lovely and, and actually yeah those those cultural differences and those language differences you know fundamentally eye contact and a, and a smile and a kind of warm uh, aura and demeanor opens doors you know across the globe in the same way that, that you know, being the opposite closes doors and uh, yeah the, the world's full of beautiful people but now i sound like a little bit of hippie so so the third bit in that then i suppose you've got the you've got the customers you've got the team and, and the last bit is the the government i suppose the host country did do you find the either the bureaucracy or the red tape or maybe the opposite that the support and the enthusiasm do they feel very different in different corners of the world the support is very different um in the end I think all governments uh, showed up and, and supported our industry. Some of them um, with schemes where people that have to lose their jobs are supported. Some others where they were basically supporting the either furlough schemes or um, even paid for people staying employed in, in that respect. So there were different kinds of contributions, but in the end, um, the necessity to do something for the industry was recognized. The extents are different, um, but I think we've, we've seen that around the globe. Okay. And, th- and then just normally, I suppose, you know, out, out of pandemic time, just on a day-to-day basis, are, are, are some cultures much more demanding, I suppose, from a sort of compliance and checks perspective? Or actually, have we, have we really you know, got a genuine sort of global economy now where it's pretty easy to, to do business in different sort of continents? I, I wouldn't connect the one with the other. Uh, I think I think they're they're demanding and um, rightly so. But it is that you, when you are an operator that operates around the globe, I mean, you you adjust your your procedures to a way that you largely comply um, already with what you do um, globally, and then you add those additional specifications um, uh, things to to the operations in that specific country right you know a, a kind of like a um, there is a regional um, specification for certain things in the US um, if you look at just things in terms of data privacy then yes there is GDPR the data privacy laws that apply for for Europe and then you have some California data protection acts and, and and other things and and that is the case for um, um, other parts of, of what we do as well. But um, it's not that completely different. I mean, in the end, we do all the same things and, and governments are concerned also about the same things. 
they might express them in different ways. But uh, I think our responses are pretty much um, applying um, to those rules everywhere. Hmm. Okay. So let's move a little bit then to the future, I guess. Do you think COVID has changed anything in, in the luxury hotel market, I guess, specifically? Do you think it's changed anything for good? And, and I suppose, were there already certain trends and headwinds that were really inevitable in the sector, but but perhaps COVID has fast-tracked that change and, and, and you've come out with some positives, maybe faster than you would have done uh, without it? Let me answer that in two different um, areas. The first one is, I think it changed the interaction and the communication with our clients, with our guests, um, and the understanding of that we may need to go back to uh, uh, what some of those places were in its origin. If I go back to the Langham in London, then when it was built in 1865, it was obviously not built for the long-haul travelers coming in from China or North America, right? You know, it was a venue that uh, was there to play part in the local community and host, whether it's celebrations or special occasions. And yes, there was a hospitality, there was an, an overnight component as well. And I think that's something that we felt right now has regained in relevance to be really connected with your immediate community and the area that you are in, also being concerned about the livelihood of that community. And that's something that I am very much uh, um, looking to how do we make sure that that's the case. Because a city, if you look at London or other cities, we need to make sure that there is this kind of like liveliness, all those little individual uh, businesses that are out there that make it so enjoyable to walk around and not just similar shops everywhere and just the big boys uh, basically prevail and so the importance of taking care of that local environment, that community, and having that conversation with your with your guests that come from maybe from a closer proximity is something that I think that has changed and that was a catalyzing event. Just my uh, humble opinion. Mm, I, I love um, that. I think, you're, I think it's a great perspective. The second part, I think, is um, when you operate, especially when you operate city hotels and um, something that people usually don't have at their uh, on top of their mind is that when you open up the door that door never closes again and that light never goes out right you know you have a 24 hour seven days a week 365 days a year operation and you operate usually with pretty high occupancies if i look at hong kong prior to the pandemic and you run north of 90% occupancies. So the time to take a step back and challenge what you do and the way you do it is never there because you're fundamentally operationally busy. And this, in that bad experience, if there is one good thing, there was this ability to step back and literally challenging and second guessing, whether it's roles, whether it's, procedures whether it's even offerings for clients where you say well are we doing that is it appreciated by the guests or is it just something that we carry on because it was always done in the same way whether it's mini bars or or the way we do certain things and even roles you know is there an opportunity to create new job profiles that are more exciting that combine maybe um certain 
roles and jobs together and make it a more exciting workplace. Does anything spring to mind where you've done that and you, you've taken that time and you've gone, my goodness, you know, we've now you've made the decision, time. it's obvious. We did. We did take that time and we took some of those decisions and we um, combined certain roles. And now you can say it's about it's about cost saving. And, and at the time when you operate with low occupancies, there is a component to that. But I also think that we've seen that there is a, a bigger job satisfaction to that and, and the feedback from the colleagues was was actually like that. And we combined some of those um, doorman, bellman, uh, you know, check-in functions where you say, no, we do it in a different way. And, and, and um, um, multi-skilling was a topic even before um, COVID. But now I think that's something that has come through in a larger extent that I would have imagined beforehand. Yeah. Do you think, has COVID created some sort of expansion opportunities? I guess, you know, much of the sector perhaps is on its, on its knees a little bit or, or some of it perhaps, I don't know, just people making uh, decisions that they, they want to operate differently. So I guess there's going to be a lot of churn, a lot of movement going on in, in the sector. Do you have plans to continue to expand at the same sort of pace you were doing so pre-COVID or is, is the next stage about rebuilding the company and maybe resetting uh, some of those assessments and roadmaps forwards? And I suppose off the back of that, if you are going to continue to expand, do you want to diversify a little bit more? You know, does, does the countryside all of a sudden appeal, you know, as well as the city so that you, you spread your risk a little bit more? The resort component was on our radar beforehand, and this is definitely something we're looking at. Um, finding the right offering that fits our brands and that actually um, answers two questions positively is can we do something to that uh, offering and is it doing something for us, right? You know, whether we own it or we own it, for, uh, we operate it for somebody else doesn't really matter in that respect. It's, it's it, I think you need to answer that uh, question uh, honestly, and, and when you're positive about that, then you can move on it. The opportunities definitely arise because, um, as in any crisis, um, some people might have overstretched themselves and now not to their own fault. They're basically in, in, in difficulties or people maybe say, okay, I want to get out of this industry. It's for me too volatile, too risky. And therefore, um, we have the opportunity to acquire or partner with somebody on on some of those um, hotels and and operate them with them for them or buy buy those places and basically operate in them. So I think yes, there is an a, an opportunity for growth. Um, we're super selective when it comes to what works, and um, as I said earlier, where where do we work? Where do we add? value and uh, we will not look at a hundred opportunities and uh, uh, growing that company three four four times we want to grow with 10 15 20 uh, properties over maybe the next five to ten years and um, uh, so there is a lot of change happening right now i would say it that way um um, people that definitely are um, aware that we are in the market and we we get some of those requests and um, that's exciting yeah it is so talking about change you're you're very firmly in the luxury 
hotel market, you know, how do you define luxury and, and does that definition of luxury, do you think that's changed? I don't know whether the definition has changed. For me, it was always, um, and now the word has obviously become a little bit of a, a question mark. It was um, more high touch than high tech. Um, there is the the the, the component of, of the, the human interaction that is important for luxury hospitality, right? We're not talking about the product as such. I mean, the product, I think, is, is pretty clear to everyone in terms of what it needs. Um, but then there is the additional, and I would now um, maybe use the word high care uh, component in terms of how you are there and how you're uh, interacting with the clients. I don't see that much of a change. Initially, there were a lot of conversations about, you know, there will be very different conversations, very different interactions with the clients. It's not what we're seeing in China. As soon as people feel safe to interact with you, it's back to uh, um, uh, maybe quote unquote normal um, interaction or something that you've seen in the past. Will we keep certain um, improvements or developments from a, a touchless um, check-in and those kind of things? Yes, but that's technology um, evolution that is there anyhow. I think um, there is the obvious push from the whole world of bringing in the latest technology equipment, whether it's um, your in-room technology or um, uh, what we are doing right now. I mean, having conversations over um, long distances with technology that we haven't used before. Yeah, I like One that high, high touch, not high tech. So I go on. Yeah. One additional part is where I think where we are preparing for a, a, a trend that might be here to stay is the hybridness, if that's even a word, of, of gatherings, of meetings. Um, having teams that gather in, in one place and connecting them with either individuals or with teams that are uh, located someplace else when it comes to um, meeting business and that's something that where we are challenged to set up the proper infrastructure for that to make those hybrid meetings as smooth as as possible and create some excitement around them as well because you want to have those physical components not completely removed from the interaction of those teams yeah it's interesting that isn't it i think i've seen a lot of that you know chatting to, to hotels in london who are putting in these sort of yeah virtual conference centers and, and you're right although i think there was a I don't know, a natural resistance, I suppose, because we're all in hospitality because we love the joy of, you know, getting people around the table and, and breaking bread and all of the, uh, yeah, the lovely little details that happen. Actually, there is something exciting about the fact that we've now got our heads around it. Like you say, just like you and I having a chat from, from, from Hong Kong to Bournemouth and the different perspectives that brings, just that ability at the press of a button to bring in, yeah, different different teams, experience and different things around the world. It, it done well, it, it could be really exciting. And I suppose the one thing it's forced a lot of us to do, much as we may have a natural dislike to think, I don't want to speak to anybody on a screen. We've all done it so much now. We, we, we've probably got the hang of it much better. Even on a personal level for you, presumably it, your travel, you're looking forward to getting back into the hotels and you, and you need to see them. I'm guessing that that ease now just to drop in on, on somebody wherever they are on planet Earth, presumably you know, on a personal level, that's going to be something you use more and is easier for you going forwards, is it? Absolutely. The biggest challenge is time zones. 
right? Technology isn't, even for my parents that are in their 80s, it's not an issue anymore. I mean, you, you simply have the ability to do that and you can do that. Um, I still firmly believe that we as an industry need to make sure that there are components, that there are benefits of having those, um, what I would call coincidental interactions, that meetings foster creativity when they take place in person rather than everything happens via uh, video conferencing. And, and, and there we have to make a, a good job also providing those opportunities for um, the ones that are having those meeting events with us and when we host them. Because I think that's something that the, the companies will will benefit and they will appreciate if, if they have somebody that thinks about um, how they can actually help them do their job in a better way yeah i think you're right i think the one thing we've all learned as well actually is that we do really crave human interaction and we do crave to face to face and much as once upon a time somebody said well the future is all about yeah screens and connection i think a lot of us now have gone you know what yeah we'll use it as part of our lives but it's definitely not gonna gonna replace Uh, and talking a little bit about trends i suppose and and going back to that sort of luxury question there's a lot going on you know around minimalism i guess sustainability environmental footprint um, perhaps experience over decadence all all appearing to sort of you know get more prominence do you think the trajectory for the luxury hotel market you know is there an impact potentially of that does that make it harder to predict um or or is there always going to be a demand but you've just got to work out how to do that in a way that also manages i suppose these um these these other yeah perspectives there are aspects that we definitely um have to have a very good answer and it's something that was was always for us uh, a, a very important uh, area, and that's the area of sustainability. You know, our footprint in terms of how do we make sure we are the best possible um, citizen that we can be on that planet in terms of not only energy wastes, um, consumption, um, food waste, and, and, and displaying the technology that really helps on that, uh, tackling the, the typical things like the single-use plastic, which I think has nothing to do with luxury anyhow in the first place, but now finally getting in and, and, and making sure you make those changes. And, and, and I think there is this positive um, component to it. Um, when we talk about the whole um, negative portrayal of travel that was a little bit the case before uh, the pandemic, I hope that people realize how important actually travel is in terms of connecting people and cultures, because what I experienced was a little bit that the more the the walls go up, the less uh, understanding is there anymore, and the more tensions rise between uh, you know cultures, countries, and and I think that's not something that is good, and therefore. Travel plays, in my eyes, an essential role in in fostering really the understanding about what is going on um, it, at that end of the world, and therefore, um, you know, getting to know, going out, and experiencing those parts of the world is something that is that is is essential. But doing it in the the least necessary impactful way is, in my opinion, something that luxury really needs to re- lead. Mm. yeah no i think i think you're right yeah some sometimes you've got to travel 
the world and see some of it to appreciate how amazing it is, I suppose, and be really, really motivated to protect it. So it's complicated, I guess, but I, I think um, I, hopefully the, the trajectory is pos- positive and we're working out ways of, uh, yeah, there's no point, well, as we've learned, there's no point all just sitting in our rooms and never going outside for years on end. We'd be very depressed. So we've got to find out a way of embracing the world and culture, but doing it perhaps with a, with a lighter touch. So I just want to close with then, you, you've worked in hospitality for many years it sounds like a sector you clearly know a lot about it you clearly love it for for all the right reasons of of, of humanity and culture and change um you know would you advise other people thinking of coming into this industry you know would, would you say yes it's a great idea and, and have you lived in lots of different places as a result of some of your previous roles i suppose have, have you lived in lots of places and and any favorites i suppose or any particularly you know great things that you're grateful for as a result of your your hospitality journey and adventure if you're a positive person, if you have fun in interacting with people, then this is the best place you can work in. I mean, that's, that's in my opinion, um, clear because the opportunities are truly global. Whether you work in restaurants or you work in hotels, there are endless opportunities out there. But when I said you have to be, in my eyes, a positive person, if you're not a happy person, and I'm not judging that, but if you need energy to turn up to work and be positive and smile, then that's not the industry for you. And if you if you're a positive person and you bring that energy and and, and enjoy these interactions, then I think um, this is truly a global industry because you literally can work today in the Caribbean and tomorrow in Australia and the next uh, year in, in in London in the city, and you pick those experiences and the ability to connect with all kind of cultures, all kind of backgrounds and understanding their perspective on exactly the same thing is a life experience that I would not want to have missed. Um, When I sit here with colleagues and we have uh, lunches or dinners or friends and, and, you know, at that table are people from Europe, there are people from North America, there are people from India, from Asia, from all places in the world and and all colors and it's just and it's not even a it's not even a question um it's not even something that crosses your mind but you see and get experiences and are exposed to what the world really has to offer and i think there our industry shines above everybody else yeah i love that you've made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up again stefan that's twice Uh, where, where, where is um where is home for you, by the way, Stefan? Where is home for me? I have a home in Switzerland that um, uh, eventually will be my home <laughs> whenever my career ends. And um, I lived there for, uh, uh, or I had my home base there for most of my my life and uh, loved the country because it has so much to offer. And um, Europe is a special place because you can travel an hour by plane in in any direction and you're exposed to different cultures different cuisines different languages and and which is what i think is is just fantastic so eventually i will end up being back in europe where where were you born i was born in bavaria so i'm actually technically i I held well not technically i hold a german passport 
Okay, excellent. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, well traveled. And and the, the reality says so you moved to Hong Kong just as a matter of interest. What's what's it? What's happening in Hong Kong? You know, we see the news. We see some sort of you know, but not so much now. But we saw the protests with students. We see this sort of huge, I suppose, sweeping reform and and changes from China. What's this experience on the ground? It sounded amazing because you can basically go to bars and restaurants from the sound of it. But what's the how, yeah? How is living in Hong Kong uh, the reality compared to your sort of thoughts before going out there? I suppose. Well, before the protests, it, it, um, uh, I knew Hong Kong from from business trips, and living here is 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 an. I mean, it's one of I think one of the two three cities in the world that is truly always on, um, and and amazing and bustling, and and that hasn't changed. Um, when the protests happened, we were we were obviously asked by our friends in 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 Europe in terms of are you impacted, and, and it wasn't really that much of the case, but. Um, I can see that, you know, there are certain things changing here, but I'm not into politics and don't really understand in terms of, you know, what has been done in the past and wouldn't wouldn't want to take a position on that to be to be fair because I'm I don't think that I'm I'm knowledgeable um, enough. For me, it has been uh, and for for my wife as well, it has been a, a very very um, nice place and a great place to live and. Um, it has a lot more to offer than I initially thought. I mean, the hiking, the beaches, the uh, the amazing landscape, um, the cuisine, the ability to eat basically whatever you want, um, whatever crosses your mind. Uh, I've never lived in a city that is so much about food <laughs> than Hong Kong. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, it's just fascinating. It's a melting pot that um, changes within just a couple of streets from 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 one experience to the next yeah amazing i've not been i've, I've traveled quite a lot through um you've not, china not been and, in hong kong not been no no traveled through china a fair bit and, and traveled through a lot of southeast asia and oz but yeah never made it to hong kong and that was crazy but no I'd love to. other place like this too and i've seen a lot of them there is nothing that compares with hong kong absolutely yeah. nothing yeah and I think I was watching some ultra. I didn't really appreciate that you have got some pretty decent sort of yeah countryside and mountains, and like you just mentioned trekking. So they're, they're, I think we always imagine the city and the skyscrapers, but you've actually got some pretty yeah some pretty amazing countryside, literally on the on the on the uh, the doorstep you, you of the city. You can go by MTR. You can go by you know what's our our underground system and go there, and then you walk and you're at the beach. I love it. Amazing. All right. Well, look, I need to come out and uh, see you. Either, either <laughs> you come to London and we'll go for a beer. We'll do both Stefan. of that. We'll yeah. do both of that. When we oh. open our, our bars in London, you know, we have a drink either in the Wickmore or in the Artesian. Very much looking forward to that. Oh. And then um, when you come here, I'll basically give you the Cantonese cuisine experience. We have a three-star Michelin restaurant here that um, has enticed me into the Chinese cuisine to a level which I didn't think is possible before. Wow, that would genuinely be incredible. I can't wait for this podcast to go on the road, Stefan. It's going to be good fun. Um, any other burning issues, anything we've not discussed that you particularly wanted to, uh, or are you happy that, uh, yeah, we... we, we no, I think, we, uh, I think the, one, the one component that uh, is sometimes a little bit overlooked is how much actually... And it's not only us, but it's, it, I know it about other companies as well, how much our colleagues also went out and about to help their communities, right? You know, coming up with, with initiatives to, to, in the beginning, to provide masks to doctors and health workers and hospitals next, 
next to where we are to then create care packages and do what they do on a day in day out basis in terms of uh, pastries and and deliver them to to the first line responders and and that wasn't something that was done for a, a marketing stunt or whatever you could see that this is wholeheartedly something that that we care this is our business we care and and we've done some amazing things in london where we we worked with charities and distributed also uh, afternoon tea boxes to what we called the everyday heroes and and i think our industry has played a quite a significant role in in taking care of also the people that take care of us and um uh, that's something that um, moves me every time i see the examples whether it's here in hong kong um in london in sydney in all the other places and the creativity that has been displayed by the teams to also provide venues for the people that cannot do their job at the moment. So we had something in Sydney where we created what we call a saloon series, where we invited artists that had the ability to basically perform and did that for a very selected group of, of guests. And, and you could see the smiles on their faces just because they can go back into what they love to do. And so I think that's an important role that we sometimes underestimate that we we play as an industry in terms of taking care of in our immediate community um, those first line uh, responders, those uh, people that take care of us, and 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 even other industry parts or other uh, professions that are equally impacted from what's happening at the moment. Yeah, I think it's a really yeah really great point and uh i think it was danny meyer in new york who sort of points out that, that hospitality is a reflex basically you know if you throw something at somebody they'll they'll probably duck and in the same way most people you know genuinely in hospitality for the right reasons it, it's literally just a it's just a reflex reaction isn't it and i think we've proved that and held our held our heads high and uh yeah our natural inclination is to look after other human beings duck. yeah that's <laughs> very true actually no, it, is, it is it is it is it yeah. is the situation and, and i think that was that's the essence of, of what hospitality is. And if you have that in your personality, you're in no better um, a, a area of work than in this one. Good. All right. Well, that feels like a suitable place to uh, close. Is that the wind, by the way, I hear occasionally in the background there? Is that? There is wind, yes. Right. Sorry yeah, it's a, it's a, no, 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 not at all. No, I was just checking that you haven't got a ghost and you've not been invaded. But I guess no, it's, it's a it's weird. It's weird. Yeah, just just every now and again, I hear a little, uh, yeah. I hear a little whistle. But hey, it's cool. It make, it means that you really are in a high rise block in Hong Kong and not and not sat opposite me in my uh, in my office in Bournemouth. So, look, Stefan, thank you so much for spending the time. Really appreciate it. Really good to get that. Yeah, very unique perspective. Like you say, you're not a massive business, but you you touch lots of different uh, parts and lots of really you know some of the best cities in the world. So, really interesting. Best of luck coming through the other side and uh yeah i'm sure we'll get to meet in person one day but thank you so much for spending the time really thank appreciate you very it. much mark thanks for having me so there you have it isn't technology cool where you are in the world right now you just listen to me sat in southern england and stefan sat in hong kong having a conversation like we were sat face to face enjoying a nice glass of red once again an utter privilege for me to get the chance to chat with Stefan so thank you to you for listening and giving me the excuse to go off down these various hospitality rabbit holes and if you are opening a venue or simply excited to go out and eat or drink inside in the warm in your favorite local 
best of luck to you and I hope you have a huge excited grin on your face. I will be back in two weeks time with a brand new episode and to make sure you do not miss any why not sign up for the newsletter at humansofhospitality.co.uk and then I will send you a quick email when a new show is released. No spam, only I get your address so it's a pretty easy relationship. Thanks again and goodbye until next time. Cheers.